Today on episode number 808 of CXO Talk, we're discussing workflows and AI with Mike Knoop. He is the co-founder of Zapier and the head of Zapier AI. Zapier is a workflow automation platform. Uh, you can use Zapier um, to connect together and stitch together the different tools you use. We support about over 6,000 different integrations now. Probably any software you use, Zapier can integrate with. Primarily used by non-technical folks. Michael, you were telling me yourself that like you're you know really savvy Zapier user and you're not technical, and that allows you to sort of do some really cool things. You love the ease of use, and that's something that uh, that's something that resonates, I think, with most of our customers and users. You had an executive role at the company. You're the co-founder of Zapier, and now you're the head of AI of Zapier AI. So what's going on with that? I'd been paying attention to sort of the AI and LM trends. I gave a presentation to the company about GPT-3 when it came out. Um, but there was a there was a paper that came out last January uh, in 2021 um, or 2022, uh, this like chain of thought paper, which um, sort of an AI research paper. And it had this like key insight, which is by prompting LMs, by asking them to think step by step, you actually dramatically increase the performance of a lot of the evals or the test suites that researchers run these sort of models through from somewhere between, you know, 25, 30% accuracy up to like 80, 90% accuracy for some of the evals. And this blew my mind because um, like the capabilities of the models had sort of been in market for 12 plus months at that point. And this was like literally just a new way to talk to the, the model. And you get these like dramatic improvements in sort of the accuracy scores for what people want to use them for. And that that was like really really surprising uh, to me, and I was like, I, I have to figure out like, are we sort of on critical path to like human level general intelligence and AGI? Uh, what does that mean for our business? So I actually gave up that exact team role you're talking about, and we just went all in, and that's been sort of my full life for the last uh, twelve months is um, working on AI stuff. What have you discovered, and can you now also intersect that with automations? First six months, I was just writing code. I was writing code along my my co-founder, Brian, and CTO. And, you know, I think the first thing we realized was, you know, these language models, these AI models are, um, once they're trained, they're frozen in time. Uh, they don't have access to fresh data. The model weights are, are sort of frozen and they're limited in terms of what they can interact with. Like the, they, they can't interact with the real world. In order for these things to be really useful, um, you know, I think most people, most users want them to integrate or interact with tools and software and applications uh, that they that they actually use and care about, and so that was our that was our first theory was like, oh, okay, Zapier has sixty you know six thousand integrations on it. We have you know a lot of tools um, that maybe we could give access to these models to be able to use. So we prototyped for about six months and ultimately came up with I thought a pretty cool sort of um, way to expose a lot of the actions on Zapier, like creating contacts and HubSpot, sending Slack messages, creating draft emails and Gmail, re, you know, retrieving uh, deals and HubSpot things like that. In, in a format that an LM could actually use. And uh, we got introduced to uh, Greg over at OpenAI along the way, and he invited us to be one of the launch partners for the ChatGPT plugins that launched back in March. And that was really our first public foray, I think, into uh, sort of AI products, um, whereas Zapier was one of those uh, sort of first first launch partners. And um, kind of the the story kind of go, goes goes from there. You know, I think the, the main thing that I the main feedback I got actually from that moment was um, I think it really sort of accelerated Zapier's like brand awareness around AI. Um, you know, I think I heard sort of Twitter, Twitter commentary where folks were like, oh, is Zapier now the like second most important AI company out there? And, and to be clear, I don't believe that. I don't think we've earned that. But um, 
Like that was sort of the acceleration we got where there was a lot of AI, I call it curiosity, sort of coming our way. And the curiosity was often in the form of like, what's real? Like you all seem like your head, what are, what are you seeing? Like what's working for y'all? What's, what's hype? You know, there's a big hype thing. Um, what's hype and what's what's real? So that's where I spent most of the last six months of my life this summer was actually like spending time with customers, spending time with our internal teams to go figure out like, okay, uh, what what is real here? What are the real use cases? What's actually going on? So when we talk about workflows and automations, just briefly give us some context about that. And then let's talk what ha- about what happens when you integrate these AI aspects into it. The, the concepts of like AI and automation are sort of like mode collapsing into the same thing. Um, I, I think for a lot of business users, they just don't even think about the difference there. You know, the promise of both is the same, which is, hey, this is software that does work for you while you sleep, <laughs> right? That's what they want this stuff to be able to do for them. And, you know, sure, maybe Zapier hasn't historically been thought of as AI, but like what the product actually lets you do, you know, workflow automation is sort of software that does work for you while you sleep. And so I think there was a renewed interest sort of coming into Zapier automation just through this AI curiosity lens. What are some of the use cases for integrating AI tools with other software and business processes? Let's start with like a marketing use case. I think this is probably one of the highest ROI like use cases in Zapier that I was able to find. And I think it starts to hint around um, like general patterns that other folks can maybe apply this stuff in their own companies. So, um, and I'll I'll set this up by describing, um, on Zapier, we have have these things called Zap templates. Uh, Zap templates are um, templates of things you can use Zapier for. They're sort of uh, blueprints if you want to think about, about how to connect multiple tools together. And they usually have a use case attached to them, some sort of inspirational use case to try and get the user interested in thinking about why they'd want to sort of connect these two, three apps. An example of one might be, um, you know, whenever I get a new lead in my type form, I want to automatically create a contact inside HubSpot. And, you know, that, okay, that's a, that's kind of the blueprint. And then the use case for that might be, um, and just the description of the use case might be something like, uh, when you want a shortcut sort of your uh, sales reps time to respond to leads to minutes by automatically getting, you know, new leads into HubSpot. And now you're sort of getting a sense of, right? Like, oh, okay, I, I see why I might be interested in using that use case, right? If I'm just checking out Zapier. So these app templates are really, really important for us. They both drive inbound acquisition. They drive SEO for us. They're also really important for activation. Um, they're a really important thing from going from a user who's signing up to helping them get started with the product, right? For this like top of funnel. And the challenge with them is they're all human created and they're very hard to create actually. Uh, we have hu- we have humans who are building these things. They can build about 10 a day uh, in, in like sort of really good quality. At least that was <laughs> up, till, uh, up till this year. And we had this big hole of like a million Zap templates that we had not yet created on the website that we knew we wanted to create. And the reason for that is we launched two new integrations, two new apps every single day. And there's this sort of N squared combinatorial problem where every new app we want, you know, we want to have Zap templates for all the other 6,000 apps. And so it, like the, the, the sort of space of how many Zap templates we want grows way faster than our ability to create them. And this is a workflow where we started plugging a language model in the summer and we moved a human from a creation moment into a review moment. And we actually using ChatGPT plugged into the middle of a workflow that automatically creates these like Zap templates, the ones we have, don't have, it suggests use cases and it dumps them out in a big spreadsheet. And then we have that human who was doing the creation before, they're moved into a review mode now where they're just going down the spreadsheet and saying, okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a, here's a bad one. Or, you know, tweak this and this one now it's a good one. 
And the, the sort of change in rate here is we went from, you know, one human being able to build 10 a day to now they're reviewing a thousand a day, literally a 100 X rate in labor enhancement by plugging language models and chat GPT specifically into the middle of one of these workflows. And I, I think that's like, you know, <laughs> probably one of the most impressive and it really, really cool use cases internally. And it really leans into what the technology is good at with LLMs today, which is sort of turning, um, sort of squishy ideas into concrete blueprints, as well as being creative in terms of trying to think through what the use cases could be. Please subscribe to our newsletter and subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can notify you about upcoming CXO talk shows. We have an interesting comment from Twitter. Arsalan Khan, who's a regular listener, always asks very thoughtful questions. And he says that... AI seems like it's business process re-engineering on steroids when it comes to automation. So it's like rethinking the nature of the automation itself and how it functions. So what do you think about that? The guidance that I give to teams internally and I have all year is the, the thing you should reach for these tools first or the thing you should do first with them is like go back and like revisit every sort of impossible problem that your company or team has faced that you weren't able to like wrap your arms around and revisit that problem with like language models in hand. Now I can give you an example of this, uh, that, uh, we're, we're using internally. So error messages on Zapier are one of these really, really high perplexity, high, high problem, um, high perplexity space problems where the variation, the variability of the error messages that we get back from all the 6,000 integrations on Zapier is very, very hard to deal with. Um, there's no there's no patterns to it. And error messages are often written with developers in mind, not non-technical business users in mind. So when we sort of expose one of these error messages directly to a user, it creates a really bad user experience. We've known about this problem since 2012. And we tried to solve this in the, the early days with you know trying to relabel error messages, coming up with heuristics, even some like data training models to try and identify and tag error messages to make them more friendly and easier. And the problem was just too big. It was too hard. The error message space was too great, like great for us to really make a dent in that problem. Now that is a problem that we have revisited with language models because one of the things language models are really good at is reading very, very high perplexity space, raw unstructured text like error messages and translating those things into things that actually like are more easy to use and understandable. So we're using language models now to actually translate those error messages and in some cases even suggest like resolution steps. That are like, oh, do you, you know, what you did is you forgot to, you know, map this required field in this app and the app didn't, you know, pass a piece of data through. So here's what you need to do is go out of filter and, you know, make sure it always has it. Now you'll be fixed. And it's like, whoa, that's really, really cool. So I, I tend to agree with them. I, you know, I, I think like every single sort of business process that you might have tried to solve in the past that maybe doesn't work as well as you want it to, like it's, it's sort of back on the table, I think, to revisit with LMs. Can you give us an example, say, using chat GPT? Because as I think about this, it's not clear to me at all if I'm trying to write something or rewrite something, how I could automate this and what kind of interface can you have to chat GPT for, for something like that? When we think of ChatGPT, we think of the um, you know, user-facing website we go to, right? Where you can like have a conversation with a bot. So one of the cool things is OpenAI has API access to ChatGPT. Um, this exists uh, on Zapier. So if you say you're sort of building a Zap, um, you can plug ChatGPT into the middle of a workflow and you can do it without needing to have a human actually go to ChatGPT and like send a message to the bot in order to get a, a response back. 
Let me um, give you an example of uh, a use case, that, another use case we use internally, and I'll kind of walk through the more concrete steps in it and kind of talk through where ChatGPT comes in. So another um, really great use case we use is in our sales org. Uh, we're, I think, booking like an extra 100K ARR a month right now due to language models. Um, we use HubSpot to track all of our, our, our in, inbound deals. We use uh, Gong to record all of our sales calls. And prior to this year, one of the things we were doing is, you know, every sales rep, whenever they get off the call with a, with a lead, uh, they have to take notes. They have to transcribe notes into HubSpot. They need to log things like, what are there any action items? You know, what are the next steps for this lead? Uh, what's their propensity to buy? What are the blockers to, you know, this deal? What do we need to do for them? And it takes about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, you know, it's, the sales reps' least favorite part of their job is just like data entry. And because of that, it ends up being very sort of in inconsistent from rep to rep in terms of the quality of the data that you get in there. This is a use case where we started deploying LMs against it. We get the gong transcriptions so of the call, so plain text. Then we have ChatGPT in a middle step. So we sort of trigger a zap from those gong transcriptions. We get the full text. We have ChatGPT then read that text of that sales transcription, and we ask it questions. We ask it things like, Hey, what are the action items? Hey, what's the sentiment of this lead? Hey, what are the next steps? What are the blockers? What's the propensity to buy? We get that data out in a very structured way inside of a zap. And then we pump pipe that into HubSpot. If the lead exists, we'll update the lead with that new structured, like in sort of augment it with that, that data. And if it doesn't, we'll go and create the lead and just add the data in. So this is like an end-to-end -end workflow. You can kind of imagine in sort of three steps where you know the the input, the trigger is uh, you know oh there's a new Gong transcription that's done. The middle step is a ChatGPT step inside Zapier where we ask it questions, we extract out these sort of features, and then the last step is now we're going to go create that stuff in HubSpot. And this is like a great one I think because it's like literally giving reps time back to spend more time with opportunities and leads. Uh, you know, it's getting rid of the least favorite part of their job. And then when our sales managers are sort of waking up in the morning and they're sort of looking over all of our HubSpot opportunities and leads, they're trying to figure out who do I spend time with today or this week, the data quality is significantly higher because um, you're getting sort of consistent output from the language models each time. So you're automating the summary of transcriptions from the sales calls based on a standard, based on a standard, is this correct? Standard set of questions that you're asking the LLM? That's right. And these are questions that we asked our sales reps to do before, right? Which is like, okay, you know, log, log, whatever the actions are, log the sentiment, log the propensity to buy, log the, you know, deal size, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is something language models can do. It, I, I think the, the general like takeaway for this is that one of the best things that language models are able to work with is unstructured text. So, you know, I think a lot of businesses have like structured text and databases and tables and things like that. And like you can use language models to do some cool stuff there. We can talk about some of those use cases. But by far and away, I think the most general use case that we use language models for in Zapier right now is um, operating over unstructured customer data that's coming in, whether that's coming in through a sales call transcription or whether that's coming in through like a product survey that we're running where we're asking users to give us sort of raw and structured feedback or whether that's coming in through, you know, Zendesk and our issue and our ticketing platform. All of these have like just sort of very um, high degree of raw unstructured text that, you know, normally you might have a human like operate over and pull sentiment features out of, but uh, something that elements do a really, really good job of.
And what's the quality? The, the quality is obviously sufficient for you to get a sense of what's going on in the call. But overall, mm -hmm. what's the quality and also the level of accuracy and also the ability to capture uh, nuance that a human might include if they were actually thoughtfully writing the notes? We're like legitimately booking more revenue per month as a result of this stuff. Um, you know, I think there are very few use cases where we will put a language model into a workflow or an automation where a human is not in the review loop though somewhere. Um, so like when I was talking about those app template use cases before, we're not automatically publishing those to the website coming out of language model. We have a human sitting there and looking at what the output is and saying, using the judgment of saying, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. I would expect over like, you know, the course of technology here, we're going to go to a spot where you could sort of remove that human and you have enough confidence in sort of the workflow. Um, but for most of the ones we're doing, we're not there yet. So you, you still, you know, you're, you wanted to probably look at first deploying this technology into use cases where there's labor enhancement opportunity, but where there still is like going to be a human looking at what that is and being able to use their judgment and be able to say, hey, that doesn't look right or smell right. I'm going to go back to the source of truth maybe and sort of audit that. For the internal use of that data, where you're really just trying to get a sense of what's going on, it's the LLM output is directly sufficient. But if you're publishing something publicly, then it becomes the, the first step. And then you need somebody to look at it, review it, edit it, and so forth. Is that correct? We do marketing side. We do some uh, personalized uh, email use case now stuff where we will have um, we'll have LLMs automatically draft follow up emails to some of our leads. There's one step in our um, sort of lead pipeline where we want to go back to leads and we want to offer them use cases, very personalized use cases for what they could use Zapier for. You know, just use case discovery is one of our you know big challenges with any new user is like helping them figure out what can the what can the product do for them. What are, what are the you know of all the workflows, which ones should you care about? And this is one of those another things that's very human labor intensive in order to like, you know, look at their all of the data about this lead, all the tools they use, and think creatively about like, ooh, all right, what are the what are the use cases that we know about that like might be useful for them and for their business? This is another spot where we're now using ChatGPT as a middle step in workflow to automatically create and craft personalized use case emails back to that lead. Now, at this point, we still have humans that are like reviewing all of those before they get sent. Um, we've, we've like heard some really cool feedback too. I mean, <laughs> literally we have replies to some of these like LLM crafted emails that say like, this is the best sales email I've ever received. <laughs> so like th there, there's like legitimately good, like feedback coming in from this. Um, but even that one, we still haven't like deployed in sort of a, a sort of an automated touchless way. Uh, we still have humans reviewing those. We have another interesting question from Twitter. And th again, this is from Arsalan Khan. He's coming back and he says, how do you encourage people to use AI at the same time? How do you prevent them? Do you have any, when that's appropriate, do you have enterprise governance? And does this governance, how does the governance relate to the overall company? This is something we looked at when I was talking about that hackathon we did. There was a lot of internal enablement we did where we went through the landscape of AI tools and we were sort of trying to figure out, okay, which ones can we let everyone use? Which ones have good training data, you know, training policies around, you know, um, can we put PII and customer data into these things? And I think the reality is there's just a lot of sort of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, unfortunately, around like what companies and what products and what APIs like 
don't train and or and are safe to sort of put customer PII through. Um, at this point, uh, we are ChatGPT enterprise buyers as well, um, and that sort of unlocks a lot of things where we're able to now use ChatGPT in a very sort of safe way to guarantee, like, oh, by default, uh, we can put customer data and PII into this, and that's unlocked like a lot of uh, cool internal use cases for us. But this, like, you know, to this person's question, like, you know, it's something I heard a lot about from like, as I spend time with founders and execs, like everyone's trying to answer this question and every legal team in the world is like trying to like wrestle with this. Um, so I can share my, I can share our experience of where we sort of settled on that, which, which is sort of like, yes, assuming that the tool or the API uh, does not train by default and there's no chance of customer data or PII leaking out through a side channel into another user somewhere like downstream, um, like, that's 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 good enough. That that sort of uh, meets our sort of uh, that meets our bar that we want to see in order to sort of unlock usage. Um, but I think every org is sort of ha- has different legal tolerances. Different fields are going to have different regulations around this stuff, um, and everyone's I think trying to figure out. But that's how we treat it today. We have another interesting question from Twitter from Elizabeth Shaw, who says, "How does AI and workflow automation help simplify?" enterprise workflows. I think one of the coolest things that I've seen is actually having a language model um, like generate them. (laughs) You know, I think uh, one of the hardest parts of using and building workflow automation is the word I just said, you have to build it. You have to kind of understand, you have to have somewhat of a process-oriented mindset. And sure, you don't have to be an engineer or technical to be able to use Zapier, but you do have to be a little sort of software savvy, right? And I think this is one of the things that really does limit the adoption of things like Zapier. Um, you know, we, I'm, I'm not sure that like the paradigm of how we traditionally think about building apps where you have to go into a canvas and, you know, pick all these apps and get the field mapping exactly right and deal with the API error messages and all that. I'm just not sure that that like paradigm scales to like hundreds of millions of users. Language models are the first technology I've seen, I think probably ever in Zapier's like existence that I think have a chance to like literally make a step function increase in the amount of people and users that can actually build and create and get value out of workflow automation. We have a bunch of one of one of the things we launched uh, this year was um, this thing called uh, uh, our AI concierge. It's in Zapier's onboarding flow when you sign up, where you can describe what is your what is your goal, what are you trying to accomplish in just like natural language. And we use an LM to pattern match against the tens of millions of use cases that we've seen over the last decade and recommend zaps where we'll pre-fill in all the fields for you and we'll pre-fill in all the triggers and actions. So you don't have to, you don't have to build, you don't have to like get all that stuff done. And that's been, we're seeing really, really positive reception to that stuff. So I think in terms of like simplify, I think that's probably the biggest, that's like the big opportunity here is you know, these tools actually let like more people in the world translate their business problems and their like integration and workflow problems into software that can actually do work for them. Mike, the use case that you were describing earlier, where you are automatically taking transcripts, summarizing those transcripts, pulling out the key points and then populating HubSpot. Can you describe conceptually how do you go from the the transcript to the summary automatically. The other parts are conventional, right? That's just the standard workflow automation, but it's the interface with chat GPT. When you're, when you're building a Zap in Zapier, um, 
you can imagine them as steps in a workflow. So step one, there's a block and you would pick gong. You would say, hey, I want to trigger this workflow whenever a new gong transcription is ready, right? After call wraps up, they do the transcription on their side. They give you that full, you know, plain text transcription. Step two is you would choose ChatGPT inside Zapier. There's actually an app on Zapier in our platform called ChatGPT where uh, you can um, have the action to send a message. And in order to send the message, you can, uh, this is kind of a technical art, like art term, um, you can create a prompt effectively. You can think of the prompt as like the same thing that a user would like type into ChatGPT, except with a prompt inside Zapier, you can put way more context into the prompt. So you could say in the sort of prompt, um, hey, ChatGPT, here is a conversation with a Zapier lead colon, and then you paste, you map in the text, the sort of transcript from the first step into that prompt. And then you, you know, have a couple more new lines and say, now what I'd like you to give me back is one, a you know, a summary that fits into two paragraphs and two, what, you know, from zero to 10, what's the propensity for this lead to buy three, pull out any action items in bullet point form that you want us to take action on. That's kind of the rough structure. And then when that step runs, ChatGPT what will actually Zapier will send the prompt to ChatGPT offline in the background, right? The user's not, you know, online or having to do anything here. We get the response back and we get those answers back and we parse them and extract them out. And then you can use each of those bits of information, you know, the two paragraph summary, the bullet point action items, the propensity to buy as pieces in follow-up steps. So when you actually then in step three, create, you know, your HubSpot lead, you've got each of those pieces of data that you can map into the appropriate HubSpot field. Zapier integration then includes the ability to create one prompt or multiple prompts. And then you might have a section that says, give me a short paragraph or you know, three sentences summarizing this. And then and then that becomes a an element, a unit, so to speak. And then you might have a, another prompt that says, now I need uh give me bullets summarizing this. Is is that is my understanding correct? You described it even better than I did. Um, I, I was sort of simplifying, but but yeah, typically for like a use case where you'd want to ask ChatGPT like multiple questions, you would have one step per question. That's that's usually the way it works. And then what about the user interface for doing this? You know, prompt writing is really hard. I mean, on one level, prompt writing is really easy because <laughs> you can you know put whatever you want. But yep. as you said much earlier in our conversation, the better the prompt the better the output. And so what about that UI aspect to help guide the user into doing, creating prompts that will actually be most effective? In the traditional version of Zapier, when you're not thinking about using an LLM or ChatGPT in one of these steps, um, there's an exact right answer of how to build this app. There's an exact right answer of how to like construct the API call to HubSpot, you know, which fields go where. <laughs> and if you get it wrong, it just doesn't work. It errors out, it breaks. The app just doesn't work. And I think one of the really cool things that I've observed from users using AI tools and ChatGPT is that they never break. They never don't work. They always give you something back. Now, they might not give you exactly what you want, but it, it always works. It always gives you something. And then it gets the use what the sort of loop that you get into is actually very similar to the loop that like engineers and developers have, which is they sort of start from zero, they build you know, their first prompt, they test it, which Snapier is like a test button inside of our Zap Editor. So after you write your prompt, you can click test. 
sends it, you get the response back and you read it and you're like, oh, cool. Okay. Now I, I saw what chat to, how chat to be responded to this sort of sort of prompt that I wrote it. Now mm, I didn't want three bullet points. I only wanted, you know, two bullet points. Okay. I'm going to go add a rule to my prompt and say, only give me two bullet points. And you get into this sort of loop where you're improving your prompt by looking and just testing it over and over again. And I think this is like a really, really important insight into why AI tools can literally be 10x easier than using traditional software, building traditional workflows is because they like always work. They, they never break. They never give you, ChatGPT is never going to give you an error back and be like, oh, sorry, I couldn't do it, <laughs> you know, or give you some 500 esoteric like developer error. It's going to like do its best. It's going to try. Um, and I think that's the most important thing for building any workflow, building any automation, building any sort of thing on top of an LM system is you, you kind of, you have to get into that like loop where you try it, see the output and make changes and iterate from there. We have another great question from Twitter. What are the top challenges with implementing or creating AI-based workflows? Biggest challenge that most people in Zapier experienced is figuring out what are the types of use cases in workflows where the tech, where I can, where it meets the technology really well. You know, there's a lot of things that people do for their jobs. Not all of them are like language models are not going to be effective all of the tasks that they care about. So I think often it's like trying to get a sense of where do AI and language models work really well and where do they not work really well? And then like narrowing in on use cases where they work really well and sort of avoiding the ones where, where they don't. So an example, you, we, you sort of talked about, um, you know, accuracy before, um, you know, there's sort of use cases where you might need 100% accuracy in order for that workflow to be acceptable, you know, in order to be able to use it in production. And if that's the case, language models are probably not the right tool for the job at this point in time with the technology. Now, if your sort of accuracy acceptance rate is, you know, more like 90% or 95%, or you're willing to put a human in the review loop there to get that guaranteed 100% accuracy rate, those now, now you're sort of like opening up um, kind of the use cases that you're like, you're, you're sort of acceptable. I can give you an example here from uh, when we were building the Zapier ChatGPT plugin, actually, to kind of hi really highlight this. Uh, one of the things you can use Zapier for in the ChatGPT plugin is to manually like take actions in tools to use. So you can go, uh, and now we're talking about the actual like literal ChatGPT products and website. Uh, if you go to it and you enable the Zapier plugin, you can tell ChatGPT to, to take actions and sort of apps on your behalf. So a simple fun one is like, send us, I want to send us, I want ChatGPT and you tell the bot, send, send a Slack message uh, to my, uh, you know, testing channel saying hello. And uh, ChatGPT will call Zapier and call our Slack action and, you know, map all those fields. The testing channel will pick the right one and send it. And when we were building and testing this, one of the things we saw was that we actually had two different testing channels. We had an internal testing channel, and then we had another channel that just happened to have the word testing in it that was like shared with one of our partners and it picked the wrong one. And, you know, th these are examples where it's like, oh, okay, if I need that, like if that, if that is a type of like catastrophic failure for you as an organization where, you know, you might have, you know, tons of customer channels that are really, really sensitive. And, you know, if the language model picked the wrong, you know, channel to send a message to, if that would be like a very catastrophic failure for you as a business, um, you know, okay, you're probably going to like 
not use that use case. You're, it's probably not reliable enough to be able to say, okay, I'm very certain that this is going to get it right every time and I'm going to restrict it. Maybe you limit the language model, you know, you hard code the channel name instead of letting it guess and figure out which one you want. Now, the exact same use case for a different user though, might be totally safe. Maybe their Slack account doesn't have any sort of external customers in it. Maybe there's no partner channels. Maybe everything, the way they treat their sort of Slack is everything's internally public. And it doesn't really matter if, you know, one of these AI systems or bots like sends it to the wrong place. And they're they're fine accepting that trade-off, that sort of accuracy trade-off. And that's what I mean by saying like every use case, like, you know, even the same, you know, <laughs> way to connect the apps together is the use case acceptableness is going to vary even by, by users and by companies. And I think that's the biggest challenge is just trying to understand like, um, that and map it into where where it's okay and where it's not. So really what you're talking about is going back to that governance issue that we spoke about earlier, and then identifying the use cases therefore becomes a function both of the efficacy of the use case, will it solve the problem, but at the same time, will it fit into our governance framework? And then there's also going to be privacy implications at the same time, things like that. My sort of general advice for most folks looking to deploy the stuff for the first time or looking for those use cases are the technology is really good at being creative. It's really good at translating unstructured text into structure. Those map, those two things, those, th those are strengths of the technology right now. And if you can map use cases that you have internally for processes into those two problems, where you might have humans doing a lot of creative generation, or you have humans doing that translation from unstructured data into structured. Those are places that I'd look first to sort of deploy this stuff. We have another question, again, from Arsalan Khan, comes back for the third time. And he says, within your organization, but I'll extend this to your, to your customers as well, are you f aware of organizations that are using chat GPT to pull information from multiple internal systems to provide an answer or a dashboard, for example, AI pulling lessons learned from completed projects and doing this on an automated basis. Everybody wants this. It does not exist yet. I saw Sam tweet about like that this is coming. Uh, so I, I, every, 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 every company, every customer I've talked to has the exact same want and wish, which is like, I want to be able to customize these models with my own enterprise data. I want to be able to plug in you know, my third-party tools into these things. I have my internal systems or I want data exposed to these things. And to a certain degree, you can do some of that with Zapier today. Um, but in the sort of context of this specific question around using ChatGPT, boot, like something everyone's asking for and it doesn't exist yet, uh, but I think it's coming. We have a project going on with Harvard Business School looking at the historical transcripts of CXO talk in order to do exactly like this. And it turns out it's really, really hard to do this. What are you trying to extract over the transcripts? What are the, what are the interesting like features you want to like try to get out? Our transcripts, you know, we've done this now it's 10 years and we have like, you know, many hundreds of almost a thousand transcripts. And so we're interested in what, how have this, the, how is the sentiment of senior executives 
uh, CIOs and so forth changed over time? What are they looking at? What kind of problems are they looking at now? And then any other kind of patterns that might emerge looking across these multiple perspectives, examining a this body of issues that we talk about. Have you tried using the new data analysis uh, plugin that ChatGPT offers on their pro plan? We've actually tried a number of different techniques. Uh, this is maybe a little bit geeky for everybody, but the there's a data scientist at Harvard Business School, and he tried a bunch of analytic methods and on his own. And then we took the material and we put it into the data processing part of ChatGPT, and it suggested many of the same methods that he hmm. had been trying, and it came up with very similar results, and they weren't good enough. Got it. They weren't close enough to what we need. It's a good insight. Like, you know, if you, if a human, like, couldn't figure it out, it would be, it's going to be, those are probably not coming back to, like, what is it good at? What is it not good at? Um, you know, if a human can figure it out, I'm pretty confident a language model can figure it out. If a human can't figure it out, I'm pretty confident a language model is not going to be able to like figure it out. Um, you know, I think the places you're looking to deploy, especially in the workflow automation context, you know, I think you're looking for spots where you already have humans successfully doing some sort of task where they're already reviewing those transcripts, they're already pulling these like this data out successfully. Um, and that's that's a spot where I think you can look to like labor enhancement to use LMs. Can we talk about low code and no-code tools. That's a very important topic for CIOs. Any thoughts about that, where we are in the life cycle of these tools, where it's going? And obviously you're right in the middle of that. One, adoption is real. Um, you know, we see this on our user base, we've reached 10 million users over the last 10 years. There's a lot of people out there who want this stuff. 80% um, of Zapier users do not self-identify as technical or developers. You know, these are folks that are business users. They're in operational roles, sales ops, marketing ops, support ops that unblock themselves by using no-code tools when they can't get engineering time or attention. Or when they are able to get engineering time and attention, maybe it takes nine months. And then what they get back is actually not what they wanted. And it's just like, everybody's frustrated, right? I think that, I think at least for, especially for growth and mid-market orgs and, and larger orgs, that's sort of the promise of this stuff is, you know, it makes everyone in your org an engineer in, in, in some ways. Um, you know, I, I think the sort of uh, re reality is as these tools get more ingrained inside of organizations, right? A business user starts with one of these tools, they use it in a prototyping sense, right? And they prove out, oh, there's some massive good ROI for, you know, this particular workflow automation that I just built. Um, then there becomes this really important moment where it actually becomes somewhat of a production use case for them. You know, it's not just playing around, it's not just prototyping, it's not just the side channel thing. It actually becomes a very business critical process. And that's what we're seeing more and more is like a lot of the use cases on Zapier are kind of evolving and graduating from, you know, these more prototyping use cases into like, man, this is now super critical for my business. And how, how do I like, how, how do I, um, how do I manage that uh, production use case in a way that's going to give my, my business the sort of business continuity? How's it going to give like my engineering and IT teams the visibility into it for them to be all sort of confident being able to make changes? Um, how do, honestly, there's a lot of like concepts from engineering that we are now building and sort of shaping into our own sort of Zapier tool set for these production use cases around things like, 
having staging environments or, you know, how to, how to have change logs and draft modes and um, just building a lot more of the classic like engineering workflows into sort of no code tools. And so I think as you look ahead more, that's going to be more and more of the cases, these like systems that um, business users build that start off in sort of prototyping mode and, and now become business critical, you're going to see a lot of, I think, no code tools app here included just offer more and more ability for like, those things to be like safe and reliable and durable in sort of production business critical use cases as well. We have a couple of other really good questions from Twitter. And this first one is from Johnny B. Good 54. And he says this, how do you see Zapier with respect to the other top enterprise automation players, uh, MS Power, Automate, UiPath, and so forth? Having used and trained thousands of developers on those tools, he says, I think your UI is similar, but the UX is more intuitive and the Gen AI is super powerful, exclamation point. There's two common themes that I frequently hear from users about why they love Zapier. Uh, I, I think one of them is that it has the biggest and broadest integration ecosystem out there. So pretty much any software that you use, Zapier has an integration for it, over 6,000 integrations. We launch two new integrations every single day at this point as well. So like, uh, that's just something that uh, like we're gonna like we're the best at, and I think that's a, one thing I hear a lot. The other one is um, ease of use, and you know the, again for non-technical folks, you know more process-oriented, software savvy folks, um, you know. Zapier is easier than a lot of the sort of alternatives, like having to write code. <laughs> um, you know, I think the, the 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 biggest like reason ultimately users love Zapier is it allows them to go zero to one. You know, certainly automation and workflow has these like time saving aspects to it where you can use automation and get minutes back or hours back every week, and that's certainly true. But the folks who like really are the largest like advocates of things like Zapier, I think, are the people who. You know, the alternatives are not like, oh, I, I chose Zapier over this other tool. It's like, actually, my alternative was like, I just couldn't do it at all. Like, I'm not technical. I couldn't have wrote the code. I had no idea how to do this. And I found and discovered Zapier. And like, this unlocked something really important for me personally, or for my team, or for my business. Um, I think that's sort of the power and sort of promise of a lot of this no-code stuff. And, and ultimately, again, talking about AI, promise of AI is like, it... <laughs> I, I think we live in this sort of duality where, you know, our users or best users tell us Zapier is easy. And I think that is true. But when I look at the broader sort of knowledge worker market, you know, a billion knowledge workers, I think the reality is Zapier is still, still too hard for sort of everybody else. And, you know, I think that's where AI comes in, um, you know, using AI, using LLMs to actually make Zapier even 10x easier than it is already today. That's, that's what we're trying to accomplish. That's the path we're on. And I think if we accomplish that, that really unlocks the door for you know hundreds of millions of users to be able to use use stuff like Zapier. Our last question from Elizabeth Shaw, who says, "How will generative AI disrupt the enter enterprise workflow automation ecosystem?" I think if we meet the promise of what this stuff can do, ten x more people, hundred x more users can actually use it. I think I think that's like I think that's the upside, <laughs> and I think that's a really empowering world to live into. So, um, you know, you got to play the second order effects of what does it mean when hundred million <laughs> business users are sort of building critical business systems in things like Zapier. Uh, but, um, you know, I know those users are gonna be really happy because their alternatives are, are much worse.
And I will just mention that if I were a CIO today, I'd be starting now to think about the implications when you begin to have real proliferation of users being able to weave together these different kinds of tools. It's happening now, but if Mike's prediction is correct, this is going to have a big, big impact on you, CIOs. I'm talking to you. And... With that, a huge thank you to Mike Knoop of Zapier for taking the time to be here. Mike, thanks so much. It was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, fun. Hopefully this was useful for folks. And a huge thank you to our audience. You guys are an awesome audience and your questions are so, so excellent. Now, before you go, please subscribe to our newsletter and subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can notify you about upcoming CXO Talk shows. We, we have uh, incredible shows that are coming up. Everybody, thank you so much for watching and we'll see you again next time.